Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we make the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made, and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders, past, present and emerging, for keeping this sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from, and if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There's a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery and equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter has actually had communication with my mare Gypsy, who's the one you see in the podcast picture with me, and he was spot on about everything, so I can highly recommend his work personally. You'll find the links to Peter's work in the show notes. In this episode, I speak with Emily Frost, who has a business called Kiris Way, where she teaches people to rewild themselves and horses. Emily co-creates with unbridled horses and helps you to remember what it's like to be free, both you and your horse. She teaches you to communicate in a language beyond words, while exploring different shades and expressions of spirit. It's beautiful work. I personally found, speaking with Emily, that the simple act of her telling me her story brought my own childhood memories and dreams to the surface with horses, and it really helped me to remember that my current goals with my horses are not really aligned with my childhood dreams. I got off path there a little bit. So for me, this was quite profound. I've always believed in the power of storytelling to make positive change in the world. And this time, I was blessed enough that it happened for me as well during this interview. Emily is a beautiful storyteller, and I hope you are transported to your childhood horse dreams as well. And we can all begin our rewilding together. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. I don't need to tell you to enjoy this one because I believe you're going to love it. So sit back and relax and enjoy the beautiful Emily Frost. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, definitely. So I kind of unschool and teach both horse and human how to connect in a more primal and embodied way. So lots of empowerment, but also lots of communication. So it's kind of like a connection training. Wow. And how did you begin that? Did you grow up with horses? 
I did. Yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, horses have always been a very important part of my life. And I think I started when I was around four or five. Um, there was a riding school in the middle of the city, which is very unique. And um, yeah, I would go and I would take weekly lessons for the first little while. And then I finally managed to save up enough money to lease a horse for myself. And that kind of really got the ball rolling. And my journey just kept escalating from there, kind of like a snowball effect. If wow. you will. <laughs> and where did you grow up? So I live in, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, and then now I just live outside of Edmonton. So kind of an Elk Island National Park area. So we're surrounded by bison and moose and deer and all oh. the amazing creatures that call this space home. Now I understand why you're rewilding because you live close to such beautiful wild animals that most of us wouldn't see. Yeah, it's, you know, it's such a beautiful space and it truly is just sometimes from a book, like it's, it's so untouched in so many areas and like one of the parks that's very near to us, we're almost actually encompassed by it, like it just surrounds our land, um, it's thousands and thousands of acres of reserve land, so it's just amazing to see so many creatures in the most wild state imaginable like just and and not at all like you normally see on nature channels where it's so cutthroat like it's just such a harmonious um system it all just works together it's really amazing yeah i remember um the interview i just put up with anna blake she says as well she says you know the the training i do is not good tv and when you say that the wild that's around you is not like they show on nature documentaries it's the same kind of thing there's a lot of harmony there's a lot of stopping there's a lot of waiting there's a lot of listening and just being but that does not make good tv so they have to put the drama in to make it all look like this <laughs> is what's happening out in the wild it's funny isn't it it is yeah no kidding yeah. it's yeah more common than we think yeah and so did you grow up and learn a traditional way with horses or were you taught to be different with them yeah so the first lessons that I did were basic ground lessons like flat riding um, I was taught in an English saddle and then that quickly escalated into jumping and just some gym can of stuff but this was all you know around the age eight mm -hmm. And then when I started leasing a horse, I couldn't afford to lease a horse and take lessons. Um, and I was paying for my hobby myself. So I ended up just getting to know my horse. I would go out and spend some time braiding their hair and, and just hanging out with them. And I learned very quickly, actually, that I was, you know, a bit different than most people at the barn. I The horse that I leased, he actually lived at a very, very beautiful but um fancy show barn and i would run around barefoot and get in lots of trouble <laughs> because ah. i refused to wear boots and i would go into pastures without shoes and i would ride without a helmet and you know i i um kind of just learned from always being told to put my shoes back on that maybe i wanted to do things a little bit differently and it, i think for a while it was almost like fun for me to try to defy everyone. And 
I definitely could see that I enjoyed that in my horse too. Like if, if I felt like he needed to do something and he didn't want to do it, I, I really liked it. And it, it showed me this fire in him that was so relatable for me. And I ended up actually, um, the owner of the horse that I was leasing told me I couldn't lease him anymore (laughs) because I was just, you know, like she would come and I would be running down the middle of the arena barefoot, my hair flying, and he'd be running after me and we would just be a little bit wild. And she was worried that we were starting some bad habits. So after that, I, I was really determined to get a horse of my own. I wanted a horse that I could Oh, oh, well, I I mean, getting a horse of my own, I'm not a huge fan of the phrases pertaining to ownership, but a horse that I could protect and a horse that I could allow to be free without someone else telling me that it wasn't okay. So I started saving up my money and I was, you know, the local babysitter and I would do lemonade stands with my little sister and we would raise all the money that we could. And by the time I was turning 12, um, I had already leased major for a little while. I had done lots of lessons since I was about six around horses since I was about three or four. And um, yeah, my 12th birthday came around and all I wanted to do was spend all my money on a horse. And my parents actually ended up telling me that I needed to lease a horse again. So I ended up spending all of the money that I had saved leasing a horse again and I, I kind of had given up on the idea that I was going to be able to just be free with them and the horse that I was leasing again there was lots of limitations and restrictions which honestly just made my like hunger for freedom that much stronger I just I would had these very vivid dreams when I would go to sleep of galloping horses down big open sandy beaches and and riding through rolling hills bareback bridalists with their mane flying and flowing and it was just this beautiful state of communion and then I would wake up and you know you're in a house with a roof and floors underneath you you're so disconnected from nature and I was in the middle of the city so far away from other horses and it was it was just this this need inside of me. I needed to be around horses. I needed to have the freedom to be with them how I wanted to be with them. And I was relentless. (laughs) Like I was probably the most frustrating child. I would write letters and purposefully cry so that my, my, my words would be kind of spotted with tears and then I would leave them in places where my parents would find them. (laughs) I would do everything I could to make sure they knew how bad I needed this, how bad I wanted this. And um, so finally my 12th, my, my um, 12th birthday did come around. I had saved up that money hoping when I turned 12, I could buy a horse, used it to lease a horse. Then my 12th birthday did come around. And um, my parents said that there was another prospect, a horse that they could, um, that we could lease. So of course I was a little disappointed, but I wasn't going to deny an opportunity to be with another horse. So we go out to the country and, and we meet this beautiful, beautiful thoroughbred who is just tall and powerful. And I remember that day almost like it was yesterday. It was like this, this snowy, sleety rain and the smell was just of fresh earth and fresh horse. And when I, when I tacked her up, we were using a Western saddle and I had always grown up riding English, so already it felt unique and different and special. And 
when I rode her around, it was so fun because no one told us what to do. Um, usually when I was testing out other lease horses, the owner was right there and they wanted to tell me how to, you know, ride in a very particular way. But with, with her, it was totally different. And I loved the freedom. So I told my parents, you know, I really wanted to lease her. And finally, the the actual day of my birthday, I almost refer to my birthday as like a birth month. You know, who doesn't want to celebrate themselves all month? <laughs> but, Good idea. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so my, my actual day comes comes around and um, my parents are like, okay, we're going to go out and, and sign the papers to lease this horse. And her name was Tiamo, which means I love you in Italian, which mm-hmm. obviously just made my heart burst. And so we go out there and, and they insist that I open one present. So I start unwrapping it and there's, you know, some grooming stuff. And, and I didn't know why I needed my own. Every horse I had leased before that, I just used factual horses, owner stuff or human stuff. And um, it was just exciting. And then I get to the bottom and there's this envelope and I open it up and it was a certificate of ownership. Oh. And I just exploded like tears and like the biggest smile and I I went around and I hugged everyone my grandparents were there my cousin was there like I was just oh I was I was just beaming it was like I wasn't even on earth anymore I was just floating and um, my sister brought Tiamo around a corner and she had a big green bow in her hair and she was she was just, you know, even more beautiful than I had remembered. And um, that was kind of like, that was, that was it for me. I would say like all of the time leading up to that was just stoking the flame and, and just reminding me of how, how much I wanted the freedom. And I think that because of that, when I finally did inherit the responsibility of Tiamo, I recognized how much she must want the freedom too. And it was a very bumpy road with her for the first year. Um, I can't even count how many times she must have thrown me into the dirt. Um, But she taught me how to listen more than anything. I think that it was. And so why do you think she threw you? Because you were already there. You're already wanting to give her freedom. What do you think was, um, what do you think that the communication was in those moments? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for me, freedom was running. When I when I wanted to be free, I wanted to run as fast as I could, as far away as I could. And um, yeah, just, just go really, really fast. And I recognized that for her, it wasn't the same thing. And this was really metaphorical in a lot of ways, actually, because she was an ex-racehorse. And so for me, running was free. But for her, running actually was almost like a state of trauma Yeah. for her. It brought her back to the times, all the times that she was forced or just, you know, pressured through her mentality or through circumstance, experience, training, everything else to run really fast. So every time I asked her to, you know, burst into this beautiful gallop, she would actually hesitate kind of turn and throw me over her shoulder. So it was interesting because at first I was really frustrated and I, and I didn't understand why she didn't want to allow herself to be free. Mm-hmm. And it was this total anthropomorphic view. And then I recognized that maybe she does want to be free, but maybe this is not how she feels freedom. 
And the rest of our partnership was just about finding how to be free together then. So um, I figured out playing tag was her favorite game and all of those things that I had done in the past that had been almost conditioned out of me subconsciously. I wasn't totally aware that it was happening. Obviously, I wanted to defy what these people were telling me to do with horses. But at the same time, when you're a kid and the only way you get to be around horses is by doing what the adults say, you kind of, you kind of let those things that make you who you are fizzle away. Mm. So I, I didn't run barefoot as often. I, I wasn't as carefree or free spirited as I once was, but Tiamo really taught me how to embrace all of those qualities again. And in fact, the more carefree I was, the more connected we were. So if I could, if I could just, you know, not worry about the mud squishing between my toes and instead embrace it, if I could sit on her back and just be there rather than trying to control her feet and tell her where to go, if I could sink in with my breath and feel into the moment, that moment could last so much longer. And every visit, I mean, we still lived in the city, so every visit was so special. And I didn't always know when I would be able to go and visit her again. So when I got there, I wanted to to remember every single detail from the birds that would eat around her nose to the way that her the, the pigment in her foot was and the feeling of her fur in different seasons. And I wanted to just savor everything. So she really taught me a lot of lessons when it came to that. And um, yeah, I would, I would say the biggest one was to, was to play and to listen and to just embrace who you are in the wild in your heart. And I will, yeah, I will never forget those first few years together. And unfortunately, um, when I, when I turned 14, she had an aneurysm Mm. and she passed very, very suddenly, but I like to think that her heart was so full and she was a little bit older when I, when I had her enter my life. So, I mean, it was, I guess, inevitable. And in a lot of ways, it, it was actually a good lesson too, because she taught me kind of how to connect after death in a lot of ways. So almost like a lesson in infinity, you know, wow. like you can still reach spirit even when the spirit is not in the body. So that was, that was one of the most incredible and difficult lessons I've had in my life, but I'm so grateful. Yeah. How did she come to you? So how long after she passed, did she come and you come through? Yeah. Pretty much instantly, pretty much instantly. Um, my were parents, you there I was, when she passed or were you at home? No, yeah, I was at home. So it was, I think it was a Wednesday. So I had school um, and I was, I was in my mechanics class. Um, overalls and all, I think we were doing like an oil change or something that day. And wow. I was called down to the office. And um, I remember my, my parents were in a back room it's a very emotional story. Yeah. <laughs> my parents were in the, in the back room and I walk in and I could tell my mom had been crying and my dad too. So I knew something was wrong. Mm. And they kind of just spit it out. Like they were just, you know, honey, Tiamo, Tiamo passed. And I'm pretty sure they had to carry me out of the school because yeah. I, I was broken. And they, they drove me out to the farm that she was living at, but she wasn't there. Um, they had already taken her body, but there was a beautiful braid of some of her tail 
And the farm that she had passed at was actually different than the farm that we had made all of our memories on, um, which again was actually a beautiful blessing in many ways. But right before she passed, two weeks before she passed, we decided to move them to a new stable. My sister had been taking, taking riding lessons and um, it was just a little bit of a fancier stable. They had an indoor arena and you know, a bigger barn and that kind of thing. So it accommodated for more of that equestrian, that traditional lifestyle. Um, but I think, I think that some of our innocence would have dwindled away there because she was such a beautiful, flashy show horse. I think that, um, I think that where we were before was so wild and so just it was our space there were really there was never really anyone around um we were kind of free to do what we wanted when we wanted the paddock that she lived in was so big um and we we often just spent most of our time there i would call it pasture play and that was that was pretty much where we wanted to be all the time um but at this new place it was it was just a little bit different the, the pens were smaller the barn was bigger it was it was more accommodating to the human than it was to the horse mm, which is often and so I think it is unfortunately it is yeah and i i think that her soul just said yep yeah, okay it's time she's mm. ready let's go so she just literally left her body and and aneurysm is like one of the fastest and most peaceful ways that they can go so mm. I think that it was just divine timing but um, after we went and picked up her hair we went actually back to the first farm that we had created all of our memories with and I remember I went to the far corner of our pa of her pasture <laughs> call it our pasture um, and I, I tied a picture of her to a to a post and I put a little pile of treats under the picture mm. and just then um a big gust of wind came through and blew across my face and it started to do a snowy rain which was just like the very first day that i had i had met her wow um, and everything smelled like fresh earth and fresh fresh horse and all of the herd mates that used to live with her in that field came up behind me and we all had a moment of silence with her and um and I say with her because that wind was her. It was, it was so clear to me. And even now, like when it when it blows every once in a while, I can feel her on the wind still. But it was, yeah, it was almost immediate. Um, I had gone there to mourn and to say my goodbyes, and she was there to say that you don't say goodbye, you don't have to say goodbye. So it was very very powerful. And then um, actually after that. I had kind of decided that I didn't want to move on. I felt like I would be betraying her if I got another horse. Um, but, it, you know, it, it took some time, I think, to just allow myself to mourn her and, um, well, mourn her physical presence, getting used to her now free spirit presence. Yeah. And, and then I actually came across this ad. I wasn't even really looking um for a morgan and he was a morgan cross and he was this little spunky spitfire and he was very very young and i wasn't sure if i was ready for a super young horse like very very young and um so 
because I was open to it, I was like, okay, well, maybe since I, this horse caught my eye, maybe I need to look around. So we looked around a little bit, but my, my heart kept pulling me back to this Morgan cross. And so we finally set up a time to go meet him. And, um, we walk into this arena and he's being lunged around in circles and I can see so clearly the look on his face was the same look I had on my face every time I was told what to do and I didn't want to do it when I was with horses and just wanting to be free and be myself. Wow. Um, and just, yeah, he was so bitter. <laughs> he was not having it. Um, and I was like, yep, I, I, I knew him in my life. I think he would be my best friend. And um, that's Tacoma. So Tacoma is my heart horse through and through. His actual um, full registered name is Kiro's Silver Storm. And Kiro is an archetypal figure that I had created when I was little um, who symbolizes equine divinity. So when I was a kid, I loved to... Um, just play with archetypes and embody the energy of the divine feminine, the divine masculine, whatever I was playing with at the time. I always wanted to, you know, sometimes be big and powerful and sometimes I wanted to be soft and um, a really good listener and, and that kind of thing. So I, everything that I loved, I also created an archetype in my mind to symbolize that energy or that being or that entity. And so with horses, um, I wanted something that, just talked about their true nature. And for me, that was just, you know, the, the complete integrated element of duality, like both, both polarities, you know, light and dark, feminine, masculine, which I think the horse is so strong at embodying. Mm. And they really help us embody that in a lot of ways too, our, our duality and our polarities. Um, and um, so when I, met Tacoma, he had this perfect black and white mane. Half of his mane was perfectly white and half of his mane was perfectly like dark gray, black almost. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, this is him. This is, this is Kiro. He's the God that I created in my mind when I was a child. And, wow. and it was very, very powerful. And at 14, I think he was, um, this turned three. So we ended up kind of going through our most awkward phase of adolescence together. And we, we were basically inseparable from the get-go. And he has fulfilled almost every dream that I could have ever conjured up with horses. He's carried me bareback bridalists over the rolling hills. He's taken me across sandy beaches. He's, you know, laid down with me and fallen asleep in my lap as I read him stories. Um, and he actually was the, the vision. He helped me create the vision for the sanctuary that we're currently living on now. Wow. And um, yeah, just, just really, really powerful presence in my life. And he helped me a lot after Tiamo passed. My mom actually had a mare when I was bonding with Tiamo. Um, her name is Indiana. And when I got to coma, Indy and Tacoma became very good friends. And I really, really leaned on Indy's shoulder as I was, you know, mourning Tiamo's loss and before I had brought Tacoma into my life. Um, but obviously my mom worked with her a lot and 
again, had her own way of wanting to be with horses, which was fine for her. Um, and I just, I needed that freedom. When I, when I found Tacoma, they were very good friends, but eventually my mom no longer was involved with horses and she decided to sell Indy. And of course I was devastated. Um, I, I couldn't really afford two horses, but I understood, you know, Indy needed more time. She deserved more attention. Um, she would watch Tacoma and I play and I could feel that she was envious of that kind of love. Mm. So you know, I, I blessed her and, and moved on with my life. And I think it was five years later, um, I had this thought, you know, like, where is Indy? What is she doing? I hope she's okay. And then, you know, it kind of went out of my mind. And then a couple of years after that, I was driving down a road and I had seen a horse on the side of the road that looked almost identical to her. And I actually stopped and I went and knocked on the door and asked if I could go into the back to get a better look. And it wasn't the horse, but it totally set me on a search because I'm like, okay, this has come into my awareness multiple times. I need to explore this. So I ended up um, searching all over <laughs> Alberta only to discover that she actually never left the original woman that we had sold her to. So I um, did a little digging and found her contact information. We had lost it after the sale. Um, and well, my mom had, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't blame her, but <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> So we ended up, we found her and, and um, brought her back. But unfortunately, when we had brought her back, she was in a much different state than when she had left us. And she was um, very uh, suppressed and, and just kind of tuned out from the world. She didn't really have that same spark. But when she met Tacoma, when we got her off the trailer, she remembered him instantly. And I knew, like... I could tell that she must have been reaching out to us energetically because when I got to that farm to bring her home, she let out the most soul stopping whinny. Like it was, it was just this desperation. Like you found me, take me home. Like, and this was almost seven years after we had rehomed her. Like it was, it was a long time. And she got on that trailer. Like she was a pro and apparently like the woman that we had got her back from said that she could not be ridden she wouldn't go into a trailer like she was kind of um defiant and and uncontrollable but she just she just got on that trailer and she came home with us and she knew she knew it was Tacoma she knew it was me and and she's she's here at the sanctuary now with us too and now Tacoma and her are like a married couple they're so beautiful together wow. they bicker sometimes like a married couple but of course they also they also support each other through everything um wow. it's just it's a beautiful beautiful little home and um yeah we've added more members too since that but yeah it's it's been a, quite a journey but it's it's powerful because Tiamo was also best friends with Indy and now Indy's best friends with Tacoma. So it's it's just so powerful. And um, I'll have clients who come and work with Indy and she has her own humans that really, really, really dedicate themselves fully to her. And she feels like a queen out here. And it's so amazing to see her get the love that she always wanted. So That's beautiful. And how did the sanctuary come about? Yeah, so um, after we had sold... Indiana 
we had just the coma and my parents were still driving me out to the boarding facility multiple times a week. And of course that still wasn't enough. I wanted to be out there even more. And um, I actually started homeschooling so that I would be able to stay out with them even longer. So I would bring my studies with me and just set them up on a picnic table and, and do my coursework there. And then Tacoma would just graze around me. Um, and so they eventually were like, okay, this kid isn't going to give up on this. We may as well move to the country. So my parents um, bought an acreage just outside of Alberta, or Alberta, just outside of Edmonton. And um, we lived there for a few years and then my parents decided to get a divorce. And our whole family kind of just fell apart for a little while after that, including the ability to have the horses there. So Tacoma and I bounced around a lot. And um, once I graduated from high school, I had moved into my own apartment in a tiny town outside of Edmonton. And I was boarding Tacoma at multiple stables. But then, of course, like we had gone from having so much freedom, living our dream, um, you know, just in our own little bubble of bliss to being right back kind of where we started with rules and you know, lots of limitations on how we could bond and be together. And I recognize like, this is just, this is so not what I want for not just me, but for Tacoma. Like I know that he, he is so conscious and he is so in tune. Um, and I could, I could see how much he was having to suppress that to endure what he was going through. So my partner and I, um, just you know kept searching like we were we were so open to doing whatever we needed to do to get him into a space that he needed to be in so I think it was almost three years of bouncing around from boarding facility to boarding facility living in condos and apartments and just saving up whatever we could until we were we found this amazing opportunity to um rent to own a 40 acre lot outside of Elk Island National Park, which wow. is just a dream, you know, like. Yeah, rent about, to own, how amazing. Amazing, right? Like just the universe works in incredible ways. Mm. And, um, so we, we came out here and I mean, it was, it was such a project. Um, the land had been used to, to raise cattle for meat to raise pigs for meat. Um, there was an old chicken barn, like it was, it was so run down and, and I could tell that the land was just so misused and abused. But um, my partner, Kyle, he works in, in alternative energy and green energy. And we kind of have a, a passion for the environment. And so we decided that we wanted to restore the land and create a space that, not only Tacoma and I could be ourselves in, but that other people could be as well. And so that was when I decided to, to facilitate sessions between horses and humans full time, to teach other people how to let go of those sometimes subconsciously conditioned or consciously conditioned beliefs about how we have to be with horses and to just branch out into the unknown and to, to trust what love can do and how far it can take you. So we, we kind of, we tore down one of the barns and we're building a big community garden on that site. Um, it was used for chickens and now it's going to be used to grow vegetables. 
and we we completely gutted and and renovated and restored an interior of one barn and we built an indoor flow room um it has like beautiful twinkly lights on the ceiling it's just from my from my dreams it's such a fairy tale wow um we have um beautiful double stalls that we just use for grooming so if we bring a horse in they can just be loose in the stall um and they don't have to live in there they can just come in for for little visits and it's just, it's just transformed. I mean, the community of women out here and the help from our men and the happy horses. And it's just, it's truly a sanctuary for I think anyone and everyone who comes here, but it's very cool. And the horses here, I mean, I, I have one herd, um, I call them my North Node because they're, they're pastures north facing and they're all client horses and their humans have been doing sessions that have been reconditioning or retraining their horses using positive methods of positive reinforcement and minimally invasive or adversive methods. Um, so it's just been, it's been really cool to see these horses from all different ages and walks of life with all different traumas and, you know, stories come through the different layers of healing that it takes to come into themselves fully, to be empowered, to be embodied, and to trust what that feels like. It's just been absolutely life-changing. Mm-hmm. And the humans too, I mean, you can't, you can't heal and restore a spirit in another without feeling yours becoming affected, right? Like it just exactly. it goes so hand in hand. Yeah. Where they like, I mean, when we want freedom, we give freedom. When we want love, we give love. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's been beautiful. And how did you find um, people coming to you? Were Because you, uh, we'll, we'll say you're a little more alternative and you're offering something that people would have to be quite brave and courageous to step into because you're literally asking them to change everything about themselves and live from the place that, um, we all would like to live from, but our conditioning keeps us from that. How open were people to coming to you and having this work, this type of work? Yeah, so I love that question too, actually. Um, I've been very careful not to advertise or promote myself in very, um, I guess, just traditional ways. I didn't want to be too loud. So What I started to do, and I mean, that could come across in all sorts of ways, so I'll just explain this a little bit better, but I I wanted to put the message out there without being too um, self-righteous, I guess. Mm -hmm. I didn't want people to think that I believed that what they were doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. It was just different. So I kind of collaborated with women in the area that did things that I did align with. So photographers who wanted to capture the connection, um, I, I worked with them, so they would come out and take pictures of me and, and in exchange, I would model for them and promote their services. Um, and it kind of, it just kind of rippled out from there and, and became like word of mouth kind of thing. When I was, when I was young, actually after Tiamo passed away, I realized that I had very minimal photographs of her. And I, one of my goals with Tacoma was to document as much of our journey together as possible because after Tiamo passed, I really regretted not taking more photos and not having you know, these, these 
moments in time to look back on. So that was when I created my first Instagram account. It was called Horse Love. And that account went viral really quickly. And I think that that kind of gave me a little bit more momentum in the beginning because all of a sudden I had this large number of followers um, for these photographers to benefit from, right? So I think in the, I think Horse Love had almost 100,000 followers at one point. Like it was quite, quite a large account. Wow. Um, so in exchange for these, these photo shoots, I would then, you know, promote them like this, this photographer was really great. They just totally stepped into the moment with me and it helped me feel really natural in front of the camera and so on and so forth. And then of course, people who admired the photos would feel something. And I didn't want to talk about what I did. I didn't want to say, you know, positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement, blah, 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 because I think the world is too technical as it is. And we over-intellectualize everything. <laughs> so, yeah. And want, some things I can't want... be explained with words. No. They need to be no, dealt with the body. That. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's what I wanted to do, was to just help people feel what it was that I felt when I was with my horses in this way, but when my horse was with me in this way. So those photos, I, I truly believe that just the photos themselves spoke a thousand words and everyone who felt something from them would reach out to me. Mm, they said, I, I want that. Can you give an example, yeah. a story of one person that came to you and the change that they made with themselves and their horse? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so I have clients ranging from um, seven years old to 70 years old, seven wow. zero, um, which is amazing. Like yes. these women that have gone through so much conditioning and men, actually, I have a, an almost 70 year old man working with me too. Um, but these, these humans that have gone through, you know, so much, this is right, that is wrong, this is what you should do, that's what you shouldn't do, all of this, this noise, um, they've come to me and, and some of them actually, I have one couple in particular that's standing out to me, um, they used to raise goats for meat and um, they had these horses and, and the horses were just kind of sitting in their back field and they weren't really doing much with them and I remember that summer that we met, um, I was doing a Liberty demo at a local fair and the demo happened to be on grass. <laughs> I didn't know that leading up to it, but I get my horses out of the trailer and of course I like walk up to the pen and it's like lush, thick green grass. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, this is going to be so humiliating. <laughs> watch watch my horses not... eat grass. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So, of course, I take them off the lead and they, they heads down instantly, couldn't be bothered to look up. And uh, this is my Tacoma. And then his, I call him his little brother, Montgomery. And he's like a little miniature pony who's almost like an identical image of Tacoma. He also happens to have a perfectly half dark gray, black mane and half white. Like, just wow. so cool. And they are inseparable. Um, but anyway, they're my little Liberty duo. And so I bring them out and they're usually so good, like, like just so eager to, to play and they wanted nothing. And of course, how I encourage my horse is to just 
you know, run around and make what I'm doing seem so fun that they might want to join kind of thing. So I'm, I'm running around this grass field and I'm jumping over the jumps without them. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to inspire them, right? Like, <laughs> and um, so anyway, the, the performance kind of comes to a close because they're just not doing anything. They did do a couple little things. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't say they were terrible, but um, it definitely, like you said, it's not, it's not so fun to watch creatures just being. And that's yeah. kind of but at the end, we came up to the, the fence and they did do a couple of their little tricks. Like Tacoma knows how to answer questions. So if you ask something and then say it in a tone, like it's a question like, how are you? And there's kind of that question mark implied in the tone. He'll either answer with like, yes or no, or a smile. Mm. And he's actually, I knows English because you can say like do you like mosquitoes and he'll say no and then you can say well do you like sunshine and he'll like bob his head up and down and then you can say well do you like Montgomery and then he'll like smile like it's comical or like it's complicated wow I was always taught that horses read the pictures in your mind and the feeling in your body so it's um yeah it's probably as you're saying the word you're seeing the picture in your mind so he's able to tune in from there possibly. yeah probably probably just feeling the heart energy absolutely mm. so I mean he and they had this this great time at the end with the kids but um once the crowd kind of cleared I was just laughing it off with my mom and this older couple came up to me and they were like I was so inspired by that performance that was by far the best demo I've ever seen. Um, you really valued the horse's voice. You showed what it means to be there for the horse and with the horse. You did everything with them and you did nothing to them. And um, it was just, it was, it was such a cool moment for me because here I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I just, you know, totally validated what most people, how most people perceive my training and, and blah, 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 blah. And that, that narrative, that shadow narrative was definitely um, loud in my voice by the end of that, that, but because these two came up to me and just thanked me for what they saw, I was able to perceive that whole experience differently. And they've been doing sessions with me since, like ever since and they've stopped raising goats for meat and they now just have a herd of goats living free on their property and and it's and it's like a sanctuary. you opened their heart up yeah I hope I I think so yeah and they definitely opened mine up too in a lot of ways that's the beautiful thing about connection it was yeah. just very very inspiring to me and I think that now whenever I think about how people might perceive this or maybe I shouldn't post this or say that because you know it might not be received or someone might feel a certain way about it I remember those two like Mm -hmm. the most unlikely of people I mean I think when I first met them they were in their early 60s and um like like he, he was wearing a cowboy hat and, and to me that's that's kind of like rodeo life and and traditional horsemanship or that kind of stuff and and here he was totally open ready to learn about chakra systems and the energy body and how to connect heart to heart and it was just the most incredibly inspiring wall shattering experience that I could have had and since then I really um 
I, I, I don't like to think of it as, oh, well, you know, what I have to offer is so different and people might like it. I see it as what I have to offer is so different. People out there that have been searching for this for so long need to find it. Mm-hmm. And so everywhere that I, you know, have the opportunity to talk to people or to um, open my heart to them, I really try to, because I, I know that, like, I mean, I was in a place where I was jumping my horse and trying to to fit in where I was at. There was a time when I was like that too. And um, I think I'm extremely fortunate, extremely fortunate that I had parents who were willing to support my dream the way that they were mm. and to have, you know, environments that did allow me to explore my freedom with my horse. Like I said, like with Tiamo, that first barn, I was able to really develop a foundation and a courage when it came to who I was and how I worked with them. So that later when I had Tacoma, that fancier barn, when I got the dirty looks and I had the, the you know, whispers behind my back thrown my way, I was able to just keep in my own lane and stay committed to my horse. And I didn't, I didn't really care what other people had to say. And I think that that was a huge gift that Tiamo gave me for mm-hmm. sure, because you know, it could have gone a lot differently. And I know yeah, that but if you could have got lost for another 20 years, like so many of us horse people did, you know, you get lost in traditional ways, searching for another and you have to rewild and, and retrain yourself to open up to new ways. It's wonderful that you had that support. And I think that that's why I'm so committed to the mission of the sanctuary, because that's, I mean, I just want to be able to remind people that it's never too late to come back to your roots. It's never too late to remember who you were when you were four, five, six, seven, and so on. Like it's, it's, it's always in there, that wild child, so to speak, it's always in there. And also, I feel very compelled to say the world needs you more now than ever. Mm, If you've ever needed or wanted something like this, now is the time to really make the move. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Emily, how can we find you? Because I'm sure you've inspired so many people to... um, to look more into what it is that you do. So how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, so I do have a website, um, just www.curosway.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. I do just have um, a personal account right now, but everything I post is public. So if you just follow me, you'll see everything that I post. I just use that for my my horsemanship and my animal advocacy. I do have a program here. It's called The Last Paradise, and it's where I I help other people looking for companion horses and that kind of thing go to auctions where horses would otherwise go to slaughter and um, rescue them. And I help them rehab and kind of heal the horse and and teach the human, help the human, facilitate the human in connecting with that horse. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can also... um, find a little bit more about that on there and and that kind of thing. Um, On my Facebook page, I mention a lot about auctions and and, um, animal rights and that kind of thing. And then more of just my horse stuff and training can be found on my Instagram account, Kiro's Way, K-I-R-O-S Way. 
And then I also have a YouTube channel, which is just Kiro's Way Horsemanship. Beautiful. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes as well. But um, thank you so much for joining me today. But more than anything, thank you so much for everything you're doing for the horse world. I have been re-inspired um, by speaking with you today. Your story is just amazing. And I know it's going to, um, to inspire all of the listeners that we have all around the world. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing for horses. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much as well for spreading so many amazing messages and uniting people in such a unique but empowered way. I think that's, like you said, needed now more than ever. Yeah, I do believe it's our time to really um, really show a lot more of who we are and, and be a lot more open about it And because um, the world, I believe, is, is searching for it now. Mm, it is. It is. And it's just around the corner. Mm, absolutely. Well, Emily, thank you again. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy this day. I loved it. Every moment of it. I loved it. I have um, listening to your story took me back to my childhood and, and the same wild dreams, but I haven't met those dreams yet. So you've re-inspired me to really think about what my goals actually are. It's um, And I don't mean goals as in logical goals, but I mean, I need to really shift my thinking a little bit more into what it is that I truly want because um, your dreams have inspired and rekindled and, and given me a remembering of what mine are. So it's been beautiful every moment of it. Thank you. Mm, and thank you, Tracy. I am so looking forward to, you know, finding out that you have pursued and fulfilled those dreams. Mm, me too. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show as patreon members you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again and remember any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you as a subscriber will have a say in you could also pop over to edenriverequestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boost the podcast up and basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world you could also share this podcast with a friend tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy all the links you need can be found in the show notes thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride